Welcome to the Intentional Encourager podcast, where each episode brings you compelling conversations and stories designed to entertain, enlighten, and encourage. And now here's your host, Brian Sexton. And welcome into the Intentional Encourager podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sexton. Thank you for joining us again today. And I have got someone, her LinkedIn bio says this, in my free time, I pursue the passion of understanding psychology and philosophy while vacuuming Play-Doh from the rug. Now, listen, I have raised children. My, my son is, as you well know, is an adult. I understand completely Finding Play-Doh in places you don't think you'll find Play-Doh, but it's okay. I have a, a beautiful, sweet lady joining me today on the Intentional Encourager podcast. You can find her on LinkedIn at Islin Munisteri, Munisteri. Forgive me. I've already blown it. See, you, you know, you can't trust your host. Islin Munisteri, M-U-N-I-S-T-E-R-I. And her first name is spelled I-S-L-I-N. But you can find her right here, right now, no matter the pronunciation, on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Islin, how are you today? I'm, I'm doing really good. Thanks for asking, Brian. No worries. Let's start here. Everyone has dealt with COVID-19 in different ways and different, you know, everybody's experience has been so different around this pandemic. Take me what through the last 15 months or so have been like for you where you live out in Colorado, and I'll be there as we record this podcast, I'll be there in about 72 hours, I'll be in Colorado, and I've never been. But but what's it been like for you and your family around the COVID-19 pandemic? So we've been really lucky at the start of the pandemic, I learned about homeschooling, and I learned that I cannot homeschool. and that was that was pretty good because it was like like six weeks of of like having my son in my lap as we as we went to school together um like his teacher would do lives we attend the lives together and then and then we would do like an hour of homework or whatever project work she had us do and then that was done and then i would also be helping my daughter at the same time. So you're so, like me, you're, you're, you're like the, the consummate lone wolf. It's like, you know, Hey, listen, just let me do my work. Let me do my, let me do what I got to do. And now all of a sudden you've got kid in one hand and you're staring into a camera, you've got your daughter and, and it's like, this is, this was not the way this was designed to be. I mean, how did you get around those, those mental challenges in your own mind? Um, the mental challenges, well, something that was really interesting was that we, we basically set up a dining room table in our living room and then the one child sat on one end and then the other child would sit on the other end and they, the teachers could actually hear each other teaching. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that was funny, but, but the mental challenges part, I was like, luckily right now I'm on, on disability. So I was able to have the time to help them, but, you know, getting up at 9am, like when I when at that time last year I needed like twelve hours of sleep a night, so that was a big. Because <laughs> trying to get up was a huge challenge for me. Um, 
And like, usually I would drop them off at school, then take an hour nap and do the rest of my day. But then I just kind of took away the nap and kind of compressed my sleep. There is nothing wrong with nap time. Trust me, there is nothing wrong. I have found myself where I'm talking to you from now in my office. I have found myself going, if I could just get 20 minutes, I'd be good. Or 30 minutes, I'd be good. There is nothing wrong with that. Listen, if it's good enough for preschoolers, if they interrupt their day flow to let them take a nap, why can't adults do it? I, I don't I know. understand that. Exactly. So I was I was napping, but man, my naps were like 60 to 90 minutes. But I recommend shorter naps now. But like it was it was like the mental challenges of trying to get up on time. Like it was like having a job, man. Like I was like my job was teaching my kids for six weeks. And that was that was like the toughest. Like besides selling, which I think is another very tough job. But <laughs> that was like, I was just like, oh my God, we need to pay teachers like six figure salaries and we need to like like i don't know somehow dole out tax income better (laughs) well take me let let me let me ask you let me jump in here and and take Uh me through through that because again everybody every child and we've we've heard the challenges that a lot of kids have had around the pandemic where their learning has been affected and 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 some kids do very well in that, I mean, you can put them in any setting. They're going to do well. They just naturally get it. They're, they're going to do what they have to do to perform and succeed and things like that. How was it for your kids? You mentioned just a minute ago, sitting across the table. You know, you, you have a, a dining room table. One child is on one end with their class. The other child is on the other end with their class. Take me through. How do you feel like your kids handled their learning situation during the pandemic? I really think it, it comes down to ages and stages, right? Like my son who was six years old, like could not do anything on his own. Like, like I tried that with day one, like he, he attended his life well. And then I asked him, well, what, what homework do you have? Or what, what project work do you have? And then he was like, oh, nothing, mom. And then, then I was, and then we went on the video on Seesaw, like there's like a 10 or 20 minute video on Seesaw waiting for us. It's like, these are the activities you need to do. Let's, let's do them together. Let's, and it was just like, oh shoot, man. Like he couldn't, there was no way he yeah. was doing it on his own. But then my daughter, who was like nine, 10 ish, like she could, she, she got through most of it on, on her own. And she, she only needed help with like certain questions and she was done in like an hour. Like, what do you, what do you think work? was the biggest thing that you learned from that? Because again, you know, we, we, we in West Virginia, we face that here because um, now all of a sudden, literally within a weekend, I'm working from home. My son's taking college classes from home. Yep. And wow. we have to now figure out, well, one, we have to figure out how we're going to share broadband internet and two we've got to figure out okay how are we going to divvy up the workspace and so yeah we we kind of face those same same challenges and i think what we learned and i want to get into what you learned but i think Mm -hmm. what we learned is is we learned that we have our own needs and our own ways that we need to go about doing it because for my son's college classes 
they now all of a sudden were just stopped. And then, you know, they were, they were online going forward. We, we had, we thought we had the technology set up and it worked out great when you're here one day a week. It's not so, it doesn't work so great when you're here five days a week, six days, seven days, you're, you're in that same space. What was the biggest lesson that you learned throughout the last year that will, that you will carry forward going forward? Um, the biggest lesson. Wow. That's a, that's a hard one. Um, I'm a lot more patient than I thought I was with my kids, <laughs> but I think the biggest lesson I, I think was the ability, like our ability to have high-speed internet in a rural area. Like we literally got enterprise grade internet, like before the pandemic, because my husband and I work from home and we do video calls. So like, you know, 15 megs a second is not going to cut it with like three people on video calls, right? So like that's like we were lucky and we had high-speed internet, like 100 megabytes symmetric, like between like for since like, I don't know, 2019. So we've, we already had the high-speed internet taken care of for us. Um, and it was really lucky that we had it before the pandemic. Um, I don't think we could survive the pandemic without it. I'm glad you mentioned that because I don't think people realized, you know, everybody thought, okay, we're going to work from home. This is, you know, and, and, and I know people that said, oh, it's great. You know, it's awesome. And this and that we live in, in West Virginia, we live in a technology challenge state where, where broadband internet access is not readily available. You know, we, we, and, and even my family and I, we had to make some changes in the middle of, of, of this thing to, to get faster and faster internet speed. We're actually able to find a provider. When you think about that challenge, do you feel like you dodged a bullet? Do you feel like, oh, wow, we were prepared, even though we, we, we had no idea what was happening, we got prepared before we had to get prepared because some people got caught off guard. Is oh, yeah. They were, they were not prepared whatsoever. Oh, yeah. they We were, like, because my husband and I, and, like, I'm, I'm trying to get back to work, but, like, and, and his, my mother-in-law and his mother, like, already all work from home. So, and we realized that, like, back in 2019, like, in order for us to have a successful business working from home, we needed to have high-speed internet or else there was no way we could have meetings, we could share slides, we could do what, you know, what a normal business needs to do. Um, so that's why, I mean, I, I'm just really glad and I'm just really thankful that we were kind of prepared ahead of time. Like we didn't even know there were, like no one knew there was a pandemic coming from China. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, and, 100%. And like, in 2019, it was just like, and then like cases started popping up and all of a sudden it was like, like it just ramped up over a week. Like all of a sudden the who was like, we're in a pandemic, guys. Well, and Islin, then, <laughs> you know, let me let me let me jump in here. It, here's here's where where I want to go here for just a second with you. Yeah. You guys decided in 2019 you were going to start working from home and doing your business, things like that. People who hadn't worked from home, it was a shock to their system. Oh yeah. What's a piece of advice 
that you have for, for anybody still struggling with the work from home? Because there are people that even 14, 15 months later, you know, we, we hear a lot. And, and again, I, I make no light of mental health issues. There were times last year where I was like, I am so sick of these four walls because I was used to being out and seeing customers out and things like that. I wanted to be out. I wanted to be out away from, from things and away from these four walls. But your business was home-based before everything, before everybody became home-based. So what's your, what's your biggest piece of advice for folks that are still struggling with, am I ever going to get back to working from normal? Or if their company says, hey, you know, this is going to be the way it is going forward. What's your piece of advice for folks on how to really make it work for them working from home? Definitely. That's a good question. Um, I would say you have to be self-aware. So you need to know, like, do you, do you need to have meetings and like face-to-face -face contact with people each day to stay happy and healthy, right? Because there's some people I know that, like some engineers I know, that like my husband, they could, they could put them in a sealed box, let them work for eight, nine, 12 hours a day, not see another person. They're perfectly happy. Like they're, they're golden but then like me, I know I'm more social. So I found that, you know, having one or two connection calls with new people I meet on LinkedIn a day really helps me. And then I can see if I can partnership with their business too. And so there's like, there's kind of like a business benefit there too. Um, and you just have to know, really be self-aware. It's like, if you need those connection meetings, like if you need that, like one or two hours of socialness each day or even more like you need to put up those calls in your calendar those zoom meetings so that you you don't like you know get depressed right mm -hmm. you don't you don't go to those bad mental health places because you're not connecting enough with other people um i i forgot the source of this but you know we're super social animals like we need other people uh, the vast majority of us to to survive and and to be happy and to be functioning, right? So, I mean, if you need like therapy, right? Like while you're like stuck at home, or it's bring it's triggering stuff that you never thought would ever come back up again. It's also perfectly fine to get telehealth and go get therapy too. And there's like no judgment. There's no stigma. You know, I don't I don't tell everyone I'm working with and getting therapy, right? But there's like, if you keep it private between you and your family, like there's usually no stigma because no one knows. And at the same time, you're getting better. So like, just, I guess the first thing is be self-aware. Second thing is schedule those social meetings yeah. that, that you need. And the third thing is if you still feel like you need help, it's okay to get a therapist over telehealth because insurance, for the most part is, is covering that right now, like, or you can go private and go private pay. But I mean, just, just know what, what you need is, and being self-aware is the biggest part. Yeah. I love that. Let's step aside and take a break. We come back. I want to talk to you about something I found in your LinkedIn bio. That's really good about growth, cutting edge growth marketing. I, I think people 
you know, there's a lot of ways to skin a cat. I want to talk to you about, about marketing and, 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 and especially now marketing from a different place and a different perspective from the, in the, in the work from home environment, talking to my guest, Islin Monastery, right here on the Intentional Encourager podcast back in just a moment. Hey everybody, Brian Sexton here. I want to tell you about our sponsor, SEO National. SEO stands for Search Engine Optimization. Now, what's that, you might say? Well, Search Engine Optimization helps you show up higher on search engines in front of paying customers for words that you as a business owner can monetize. What a great concept. SEO National is owned by my good buddy, Damon Burton, who's been a guest here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Not only has Damon and his team worked with businesses of all sizes, from e-commerce startups to NBA teams and Shark Tank featured businesses, but more importantly, Damon and his team are about transparency, trust, and providing lifetime value. So much so that he still has his first customers after opening SEO National 14 years ago. Let me give you some intentional encouragement and call Damon and his team today at 855-736-6285 or go to www.seonational.com and get a free quote. Islin, I want to talk about something I saw in your, in your bio. Cutting edge growth marketing digital marketing strategies and tactics. I want you to define cutting edge growth marketing, because again, I think people, a lot of times people will say, I want to do this in marketing my business, or I want to do this in marketing myself. A lot of people talk about personal branding and, 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 you know, there, there's tons of ways to do that. What is cutting edge growth marketing to you? I'm curious about that. I really want to hone in for a few minutes on that. Sure. So to me, growth marketing and cutting, you know, cutting edge growth marketing means having an understanding of how your customer became a customer, having an understanding of the customer journey. Um, so we're HubSpot Gold Solution Partners. So we usually put our clients on HubSpot because that gives them an understanding of how, say, a customer came in from an ad, how you converted them, how you uh, did your sales process for the deal pipeline and how they became a customer, and then have the customer success, like the ticketing pipelines, to, to kind of drive them through your onboarding process so that you're they're fully a customer and they're satisfied in the first 90 days and you can keep on retaining them as a customer. This is huge. And I want to jump in here because I cut my teeth for a lot of years in B2B, okay? And so, you know, we would, we would in, in the food service industry where, where, I, where I started, I was there for 15 years, my first 15-year career. You would call on a customer. You would, you would and my, my sales process was about four weeks. From the time I started, I could get them to buy something in about four weeks, seeing them a couple times a week, talking about strategies and what we could do to things like that and, and getting them from that first interaction to actually getting product in their door. It's about four weeks. I, I, I figured it out. It was about four weeks. There was no, let's check in with you in the first 90 days to see how everything's going. There was no, 
are you completely satisfied? How's that onboarding process look? For us, it was get a credit application, get it filled out, get a customer number set up, wait for that customer to say, okay, I'm going to place my first order. You know, then, then it was up to the salesperson to really be that frontline person and checking in and saying, hey, everything good? How you doing? When, when do you expect your next order? Things like that. What you're talking about is something that's radically different from a lot of old heads like me that, that did B2B a little bit differently. What do you see when, when a customer comes back to you and says, this, this, and this is what I liked about the process? What are you finding that customers are connecting with more and more in the sales process? I'd say in the sales process, like they, they like custom proposals. They, they like having a solution that answers their specific problems. Um, and I think like being really intentional about the discovery call and strategy and goals is really key to having a good sales conversation. Um, you, you really need to get to the root of their problems in discovery or else you don't give them a good, good proposal um, in the services industry. I, I love that. And I'm jotting this down, getting to the root of the customer. Because we, we talk about problem solving a lot. You know, people would talk about, well, we've got to offer the right solutions. We've got to solve problems. We got to, we've got to do this and that. And I think everybody is so focused a lot of times on problem solving that we forget what connected a customer to us in the first place. Like, why did the customer choose us to start with? Exactly. So, yeah. Why, why did they, because in Islan, I've said this and I, and I'll say it again. I said this in my book, people buy from people and I'll say it again. People buy connection before ever making a transaction. And you don't know what that, that connecting rod was that got them to you in the first place. What's something that surprises you that customers say when you check in with them? Like, I never, I didn't, I didn't figure that that would be a, a an answer or or a customer said, yeah, Islin, this is why we chose to do business with company X because of this. It's like, oh, that was a, that's kind of a surprise. Um, I guess something that's surprising, like we do a lot of HubSpot onboarding. Um, and I guess what's surprising for, for me is to hear that they're like some other people that onboard them, like they don't necessarily do all the technical setup in the background that they that you need to do to make it fully running. Um, I feel like, like the onboarding process is really key. If you want to get a tool working right in the first place, you need to have yeah. that technical setup. Yeah. Um, well, well be, here's the thing too. And I love what you said about onboarding a customer, because I think people say to themselves, listen, we've done all the legwork up front. We've shown the customer value. We've given them the reason to buy. We've given them the opportunity to buy. We, you know, and, and we kind of forget about the onboarding. I want to ask you this real quick and we'll step aside and take another break. What is the biggest mistake that, that sales companies make in onboarding a customer correctly or something that a sales company overlooks at times? It's absolutely critical 
to get that customer onboarded correctly. They don't do enough discovery in the beginning. Like they don't know if the customer can you know, just throw some videos and a checklist at the customer and they're fine. They can onboard themselves and with like some, you know, Q&A, like some calls from you. Or do they need like a full um, like white glove, like we need an agency or we need somebody to onboard us fully. Like it's not, it's not like we, we can do this ourselves, like in the same amount of time that we can have someone, you know, an agency onboard us. Um, I feel like that's that's missing in the sales conversation, like, because then you'll increase a lot of churn, especially as a software company. If you don't onboard customers properly, they'll, like, if it's a simple software solution, they'll use it once and they'll never use it again. Or if they have, like, a more expensive software solution, like, when the renewal period comes or if you're going month to month, they won't they won't come back and then yeah. as a sales representative then then or you got you got bigger issues on your plate like clawback clauses yeah, yeah. And like you you sold them but you you didn't sell them all the way <laughs> like yeah exactly so exactly and, and and listen i love what you said there what does the customer really need you know because a lot of times you you kind of say i think i know what they need i sold them what they what what I thought they needed or what we talked about they needed, but we really didn't get to what they really needed. And you said churn, which made me think of butter. And then I got hungry. So I, I, I'm sorry if my eyes glazed over a little bit. I apologize because I thought churn and butter. I was like, oh no, this is not good in the middle of a podcast recording to get hungry. Let's step aside and take a break. When we come back, I want to tell Islin's powerful story. She has got a dynamic story of overcoming a huge challenge in her life. And I want to tell you about it. Come back with me. My guest, Islin Monastery, is my guest here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Back in just a moment. Hey, everybody, Brian Sexton. want to tell you about my new book, People Buy From People, 10 Powerful People Lessons from the Ultimate People Person, my dad. My dad was one of the greatest connectors that I ever knew, and he shared with me 10 connecting principles that I have used throughout my 25-year sales and sales management, customer engagement, and leadership career that I'm passing along to you. If you want to be a stronger deeper and more powerful connector. You've got to pick up a copy of People Buy From People. There are concepts in there that you may not realize help make you a power connector. You can go to Amazon and pick it up. Kindle, if you're an e-reader and you like to do it that way, or now available on Audible. And there's one other way you can get a copy of People Buy From People. You can get one from me and I'll sign it for you. You go to intentionalmediaandpublishing at gmail.com and send me an email. And I'll share with you the link on how you can get a signed copy. You can buy a signed copy directly from me. Again, people buy from people. If you want to connect like never before, pick up your copy today of people buy from people. And now let's get back to more great conversation here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Islin, let's now tell your story. 
and that's, as you know, being on the intentional encourager podcast and listening, that's the meat of every podcast is telling your story. So take me as far back as you want to go from point A to today and talk through your story and the challenges that you've overcome. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, I, I was fairly successful in school growing up and that's really all my parents expected of me. But there was a whole nother side um, of life that I did not know I needed to function well in, and that was the emotional and spiritual part of life uh, that you don't get in school. And if you're lucky, like your parents give you what they had emotionally. Um, and for my parents, I, I didn't get too much, um, to be honest. I mean, they gave me everything they had, but it, it wasn't. You know, it's it's unfortunate when you look back and you're like, well, it wasn't quite enough, you know, but th that's what therapy and having a supportive community is about. Um, and so I think sometime in high school, I had developed, I was bipolar, and it took about uh, 10 years to diagnose that correctly. Um, I was seeing psychiatrists and therapists all through those 10 years, like since I was 18, um, I was even seeing a high school counselor once a week, um, and no one really saw it uh, until I had a massive breakdown when I was 28 up in Alaska. Um, husband and I and the kids were living in Alaska, and we had all pairs um, helping take care of the kids, and I just had... Like I, I, I went through spurts of suicidality before, um, but I, I never got to the point where I was, I, I got to a point where I could not function. Like I was suicidal. I had a really bad depressive episode. Um, yeah, in, in 2017, and then I spent seven days at a psychiatric hospital. Oh, wow. So I got to ask you this, and, and, and forgive me for jumping in here, but you go back to your high school days and you talk to a high school counselor and being bipolar, and I had some family members that were bipolar. I, have, I, had, I had a cousin that passed away. He was bipolar. I understand that a little bit. You really needed a deeper level of help but you were just trying to reach out to somebody, right? Is that, I'm, I'm trying to put myself into that moment and in, in visualizing that moment. Did you, did you talk to your high school guidance counselor or counselors because you really just needed to talk through that? What was your thinking even back then in, in trying to figure out what was going on with you? I mean, things were not going well at home, even though I was, doing really well at school. Like I had a close relationship with my dad, but with my mom, I basically had no relationship since I was like 12. Because, and I, I've started a relationship with her again now, right? But like she, she was, she had issues. I do not know what issues they were, but it caused her to yell at me intermittently, like with no cause, right? And I, like, that's a very traumatic, childhood experience especially if it happens over many years 
um, it kind of doesn't destroy a soul, but it, it definitely does not help you grow up. What well. do you think you would do if you had the chance to go back in time and talk to, you know, you just happened to, you, you, you're at the age you are now. Mm-hmm. And you could go back in time and you could parachute to your house growing up. You're 15, 16 years old then. What do you think you would say to now, to then 15 or 16-year-old Islan? How would you try to help her knowing what you know now? I I would probably gone on like bipolar meds sooner, right? I would have. Um, what, what was interesting is that the help like the therapist you get is at the fits the level of awareness where you're where you are so i wasn't very aware so like the you know the therapist can only help you as aware as you are at, at the level of consciousness you're at you you and then through different teachers and through different therapists right you go to deeper and deeper levels of awareness of yourself um so i couldn't really parachute in and help myself because I just didn't have that level of awareness at that time. So even if I told myself I, w- I would have, you're bipolar, you need to get on meds, I probably would have shooed away and been like, no, I feel great. Like, why, why would I need to be on meds for it? And now at 28, you, you, let's fast forward. Let's fast forward back to what you were talking about just a minute ago. 28, you have a severe breakdown. Mm-hmm. Did you feel it coming? Or did it just kind of hit you like a heart attack? Like I, like I, we, we've had people, and I'm thinking back to a conversation I had with with a friend of mine, Justin Welsh, here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. And Justin, the mo- his moment was ended up in the emergency room with with an event, like just it it, it was instant and sudden. Was yours the same way, very instant and sudden, or did you feel it coming on? Oh, it was it was sudden, man. Like I, I, like one, like I remember finishing a report the month before, and I wasn't feeling very good. I was feeling very anxious. I was very anxious, and I just, and then like I was feeling suicidal. And then, like my husband took me out. We had lunch, and then he took me to the psychiatric hospital or to the emergency room. Um, and then that's when they transferred me to the psychiatric hospital from the emergency room, but I was catatonic. Like I was not, like I couldn't function. Like I could clothe myself and I could go to sleep and eat food and stuff, but that was like, like I was, like my husband and I decided to move out of Alaska after like the fact that I was not getting better in two months. And we, we decided to move down to Colorado because we had family and like, he basically had to pack up the house with some friends and I could not help him at all. Do you think being able to dress yourself and feed yourself was just years of repetitive motion in doing Pretty those much. things day in and day out? Because, you know, again, I, I you know, I, I talk about routines mm-hmm. and, I, and I talk about it in my new book that I'm writing. And it's, you know, every morning's the same routine. Get up, um, make the bed you know, take a shower, eat breakfast. I mean, it, it's, you know, there's not a lot that deviates from that. So you are basically just functioning on things you've always functioned in. Everything else was just 
kind of gone. Was, gone. was gone. Yeah. I, I, I wanted to kind of pull a little more conversation because I, I think people were saying, well, how did, how did you have the mental capacity? If, if nothing else, how did you have the mental capacity to feed yourself and clothe yourself and, and do all this other stuff? But it all just came, it was all just, just innate, right? Yeah. Like I could, I could do the basics, but could I drive? Hell no. I could not drive. It could not work. Like I did not have the capability to work. Like, like I they they put me on a six month leave, um, of absence, like with like FMLA and everything, and I I could not get better in six months. Like I had, there were other points in my twenties that like I I took six weeks off from work, and I I got therapy, and then I I could go back to work. That was okay. Like there was a couple of other times that that's happened, but like I, like the the when I was twenty eight, I could not like I was, I was I was like, not not functional. Take me the, to that. I, I mean, to interrupt you, Islan, but take uh, me to that point where you had a breakthrough in your therapy, where you you finally, because you 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 just mentioned you would have therapy, you would you would get better. People go back and, and relapse. And then, you know, you mentioned not being able to drive or work for about six months. Take me through the breakthrough moment where you finally were able to get over the hump, so to speak, not get, you know, but, but able to, to get over that hump. Well, it's been, it's been four years, right? Since I've four or five years since I've been on, on disability and in the middle, like I had, I was manic when we were moving from Alaska to Colorado, like we stayed up too late one night or we got up in the middle of the night one night because there was a hailstorm coming. So we had to move the truck and the trailer um, to another location down the highway in Canada. Um, and I think I like, I was, I was like raving ma like manic as we were driving down to Colorado. And then it wasn't until like I find this, found a psychiatrist here in Colorado and she put me on the right meds that I was no longer manic. But it's been, it's been a while. Um, and I was going, like, I was going to therapy like three times a week, like doing meds, like all of it. Um, it's only been recently here that I've been finally like gained the self-awareness enough to know what my anxiety triggers were and I'm still working on it now right it's, it's not like oh yeah I figured out my anxiety triggers I'm done I can go back to work it's, it's unfortunately not that simple um I still have issues driving long distance um just because just because of like ability to concentrate and focus right that that still hasn't completely come back the critical thinking, right, still hasn't completely come back. And, and like, I was a professional engineer in Alaska, right? I was, I had a license, like, professional engineer in petroleum engineering. And I, like, I, I'm still not functioning at the level I was when I, like, the month before I lost my job. Like, it was, I was just, like, not... Like I'm still, I'm still not where I, where I, I need to be. Wow. Wow. Let me ask you this as, as we wind our conversation to a close, 
What's the biggest lesson that you've learned from all that you've been through? I mean, I think this is, this applies to like anyone really is that if you don't take care of your shit, your emotion. Oh no, I. It's okay. <laughs> oh no, now we have to put the little E on the podcast. Yeah. But if you don't take care of your stuff, your emotional stuff, your spiritual stuff that, that you have inside of you, whatever it may be, like it, it will come back and it may take years but it, it will come back to, to bite you. Like whether it's like a dysfunctional marriage or dysfunctional relationships or something, something is happening right now that you're not listening to, that the signs are very apparent that you need to go get help, but you're, you're just not aware that you do need to go get help. Yeah, yeah, taking care of the things you need to take care of. And, and, and for some people, it's mental. Some people, it's physical. I remember for me, June 26, 2008, going to the doctor and my doctor saying, me weighing 350 plus pounds, my doctor saying, if you don't get weight loss surgery, you're going to die. Mine was all physical. Yours was mental. And, and again, I love what you said there. Whether it's mental or physical, it's taking care of what you have to take care of, being able yep. to take care of it. Islin, leave our audience today with your biggest piece of intentional encouragement. I intentionally encourage you to go get help if you need help. You don't know if, and you don't know if you necessarily do need help until that first therapy appointment or until you decide to go for three months and see where it goes. But I, I encourage people, especially like now during, like during the end of the pandemic, if you've been holding out or if there's been something seriously bothering you or you haven't been able to go to sleep at night or if you're overweight or if you're self-medicating, with wine or with any other food, whatever you're self-medicating with, like go, go get the help because you want to be dealing with the same issue 20 or 30 years from now when it's a lot worse and you might be like on the edge of death from it or if you want to deal with it now. Yeah, I love that. Go get help if you need help. And we encourage you that that if you're listening to this podcast, you're going, Brian, you know, Island's right on the money. Go get help. Go get it taken care of. Island, where can folks connect with you on social media? Where can they find you? Oh, you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, you can also email me of Island at via theia marketing dot com um and yeah you can I, and if you connect with me on linkedin you'll you'll see my mobile number and everything um so there there's lots of ways to connect with me if you want to get a hold of me yeah I, I love that islin um the website is theiamarketing.com the IA marketing, or you could connect with Islin, Islin, I-S-L-I-N at the IA marketing.com. Islin, this has been such a pleasure. I've enjoyed our conversation. Thank you for your honesty and your transparency. 
and for joining us on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Thanks, Brian. My thanks as always to producer Bryce Sexton and technical advisor Matt Means. And of course, the ultimate thanks goes to the Lord Jesus Christ, who provides intentional encouragement every day through his word. If you're not subscribed to the Intentional Encourager podcast, hit the subscribe button wherever you get podcasts so you don't miss an exciting episode where you can get encouraged and stay encouraged. And remember, anyone, anywhere, at any time, any place can be an intentional encourager.